0: Happy Thursday. We are digging deeper into the Psalms today. Uh, Today we are going to look at four Psalms, Psalm 11 through 14, all rather short ones, but widely ranging in the emotions and effort that is drawn on here. So we'll get into it right away. Psalm 11 to the choir master of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. The first three verses of Psalm 11 are very similar to the beginning of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So we have this taking refuge in the Lord as this great thing. But now we have also the fact that the refuge in the Lord is also in his temple in heaven. That we have this great assurance of our salvation, not because of what we have done, but because what God has done for us. And as David's seed will tell us later on, as we go through the Psalms and into the Gospels and everything else in the scriptures, that it is the son of David who brings us into that refuge, that allows us to even have the option for a refuge in the Lord. And of course, the Lord tests the righteous. We can always talk about the great things that the people of God have gone through throughout history, whether it's the Old Testament Israel in the wilderness or even today as Christians suffer persecution, suffer disease, suffer famine, all of these things that happen to the Lord's people. And then we get to verse 6. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. This most easily goes into Sodom and Gomorrah and the judgment based on them for their sin of homosexuality. It's not a thing that is lightly taken in this for God's judgment to come out against sin. Fire and brimstone and sulfur raining down from heaven is a magnificent thing that we don't want to be on the receiving end of. And this is their portion because the Lord is righteous. And he loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face, not the unrighteous, not the evildoers. They shall behold his wrath and nothing else. That shall be the portion of their cup. All right, we move on to Psalm 12. To the choir master, according to the Shemineth, a Psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boast. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now rise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. So far, Psalm 12. First couple of verses, it says the godly is gone. They have all vanished from the face of the earth. Is this the rapture? No. No. This is sin taking and corrupting everything as the scriptures completely teach everywhere. The godly one is not there because we can't see the godliness because of all the sin that corrupts us down to the very core. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. We have this throughout the scriptures, but also when we get into the apostolic fathers that you have the Didache and First Clement and Barnabas talking about not being double-minded, not being double-tongued. And all of that comes out of having a double heart, a heart that is split, trying to envision a way to endure everything that's going on, but make it work for our good, despite what happens to everyone else. The other highlight of this psalm, Is verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. It is not just the silver is purified. It's not just that this is the word of the Lord, and we should be reverent to it because of its origin. But the purity is complete, that purification seven times by fire, that there is absolutely no dross in it whatsoever, That it is truly pure silver and the purest silver we can ever find because it is the word of the Lord. It is from Him completely. And why do we need this? Verse 8: On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. We have this issue. And James picks up this idea of the devil prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What is it that makes us fear in this life? The evil that surrounds us. The fact that it seems that there is no godly person left. How many times have you felt like Elijah on top of Mount Horeb, thinking that you were the only true Christian left? That everyone else has fallen away. That there is no one who is trying to follow God. And that is the problem with our human nature. We have this issue that we think of ourselves first and foremost. We don't think about what God is doing. And God has to rebuke us. And God has to remind us that, no, we aren't the only ones. And we aren't even all that good. But... God brings about his people, brings them about because we live daily for all of our life in the middle and in the midst of the ungodly and the wicked. We can't help it. There is no one good on this earth, not in the sense of good in the Hebrew as being perfect. No one fits that description, except for, of course, Jesus. But Jesus isn't walking the earth right now. He is sitting in heaven in his temple as we saw in the last psalm, being our refuge, being our point of contact for outside of this evil age, so that we know that this is not all that there is. But as we move on, we see that This age takes its toll on even the most faithful of Christians, as we begin in Psalm 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has dealt bountifully with me. So far Psalm 13. Catch the beginning of the psalm. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Very similar to Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There are those moments where we feel forsaken by God, as we talked about with Psalm 12, that we think we are the only ones, that we think even God has left us. And has hidden his face from us. But what happens in those times? We go back to Psalm 11. God tests the righteous. Sometimes it is those times where God seems the furthest away. That God is right there testing you to see how you will react. Not because he doesn't know, but because you don't know. Because you don't know your own strength. There is the bumper sticker that is not taken from Scripture that God will not give us more than we can handle. And that's bumper sticker theology. God says that what we have, the temptations we have, are nothing that are not common to all mankind. 1 Corinthians 10.13. But God provides a way for escape from them. That God will not leave us to just wallow in our own self-pity, to wallow in the evilness that is in us. How long do we have to take counsel on ourselves? Not very long, because if we are honest with ourselves, usually when we rely on ourselves, that is when things go from bad to worse and even worse. But he ends that psalm, Just as Psalm 22 ends on a bright note, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Although it seems like there is nothing good that is happening right now, nothing that we can actually take hold of and say, This is good, we still have. His steadfast love. We still have His promises of being there with us, of having our salvation with Him. These are not just idle promises. They are the promises that come from the word of the Lord that has been purified like silver seven times. And so we will sing to the Lord. Many times that psalm Line comes in and we see it over and over again I will sing to the Lord why because the Psalms are songs sung to the Lord originally why do we sing because he has dealt bountifully with me now we have the exact opposite happening as we look into Psalm 14 to the choir master of David The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. They have no knowledge. All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord. There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. So far, Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Atheists are fools plain and simple. That is the point of this psalm. Why? Because they want to act like there is no God, like there is no governing authority over them, that they can pick and choose what they want to do, what is right and wrong for them, and you can choose what is right and wrong for you, and we're all fine because we're all equal, because no one can say that there is objective truth, because there cannot be Objectivity in what is right and wrong, what is moral and immoral. And so we have over and over again in the psalm there is none who does good, none call upon the Lord. Why is this? What makes this such an interesting psalm? Because when the rich young man comes to Jesus, he calls him good teacher. And Jesus replies, why do you call me good? There is no good except God. Pulling from Psalm 14 and then later on Psalm 53, which starts off the same way. Why are there foolish atheists all around? Because they are corrupt. Sin has corrupted them so that they do abominable deeds. The Lord looks down from heaven and tries to see if there is anyone who is following after him. And no. Just like in Genesis 6, they're all following after the desires of their own hearts. Nothing for following after the Lord. They have all turned aside. Again, pointing to Psalm 22 again, which shows us just the great abundance of these themes throughout the Psalms and the fact that David was a master Psalm writer as he would come and he would bring these themes in in completely different areas, completely different ways. Why? Because he was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't even good, but he sought after the Lord. He tried. And there were times that he failed, and he failed miserably. And I encourage you to look through Second Samuel, start with chapter eleven, and just read for the next well the rest of the book. It is just one more thing after another after another that befalls David and his house because of stupid things he did in breaking the sins, or breaking the laws of God with his sins. And so. He ends this psalm with the exact opposite of what he said at the beginning. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. Why is that? Because Zion is the place where God has made his name to dwell. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. David knew that his kingdom and his prosperity would not last. That when Israel would fall, they would fall hard and there would be no way to recover except for the grace of God. So that when the kingdom splits under his grandson Rehoboam, when the whole of Judah is taken away in the Babylonian captivity, it is only by the grace of God, that any of it can be reunited, that any of it can be rebuilt, that any of it can be restored, because it is the Lord who restores the fortunes of his people. Not Ezra, not Nehemiah, not Rehoboam, not Jehoiakim, not anybody else. It is the Lord that restores the fortunes of Israel. It is the Lord that restores the fortunes of his church. All right, we've looked at Psalms 11 through 14, digging deeper into them, seeing how different themes are spread throughout the book of Psalms, but also linking out to different parts of the scriptures, especially as we look at David's life as the author of these psalms. Next week, we'll look at Psalms 15, 16, and 17. Continuing on this trek of doing about 30 verses a week to put this into that 15 to 20 minute time frame that I'm seeking for this segment of the podcast. And I believe I did not introduce myself at the beginning, but those of you who have been listening to me for the last two years, three years, know who I am, but I am Pastor Doug Minton here wishing you God's richest blessings as you continue to dig deeper while you wrestle with theology. Amen.